0: I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 27 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels. In this episode, I continue discussion of the opening words of chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John with commentary on the meaning of verses 1 through 5, followed by reading and discussion of verses 6 through 18 which completes St. John's unique opening prelude. At the end of the episode, I'll point out where material presented in episode 27 is found in the AIC bookstore publication The Gospel of John, Annotated and Illustrated, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated, and The Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated. To help you more deeply understand why the opening verses of St. John's Gospel read in the previous episode are so important, I need to set them in the context of earlier episodes in the series before continuing into verses 6 through 18. In episode 2, I discuss Matthew 1, 1 to 17, which is St. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus through 42 generations presented in three groups of 14, and which begins with Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, and follows the line of King David down to Joseph, Jesus' legal father. In episode 15, I discussed Luke 3, verses 23 to 38, St. Luke's genealogy of Jesus, which, as I noted, begins with Joseph, Jesus' legal father, and Mary, his mother, and which does not stop with Abraham, as St. Matthew did, but ends with Adam, the first man described in Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. The illustration, also used in Episode 2, is the Blessed Virgin and the Christ Child, an icon on panel painted in 1863 A.D. by Dicho Kraschev from the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul in Kula, Bulgaria. In Episode 2 through Episode 5, I spoke about St. Matthew's theme that the life of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. St. Matthew reached backward into the Old Testament and made connections to events in the New Testament. As we will see shortly, St. John took the same idea in a whole new direction. The illustration, Matthew writing his gospel, is an illumination in temper and gilt on parchment from the Lindisfarne Gospel, the oldest gospel book made in England, prepared at the end of the 7th century in present-day Northeast England from Cotton Manuscript Nero D. four in Roman letters, Folio 25V, British Library, London, England, reproduced in 2002 in DVD format in 10,000 Masterworks of Painting. In episode 13, I discuss St. Luke's account of the first four unique songs in his gospel. In chapter 1, St. Luke shares with readers the song of Zacharias, commonly called the Benedictus, which was sung by Zacharias at the birth of John the Baptist during the year before Jesus' birth. In verse 69, Zacharias sings of the coming of a horn of salvation, which would come in the house of his servant David. The final words of the song are in verse 79, which, as I will explain later, fits well with John's words in John 1, verses 4 and 5. Through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The illustration is a detail of a late 20th century fresco of the birth of John the Baptist in the Greek Orthodox Church of Jerusalem. The still mute Zacharias is writing the name of his son on a tablet in the lower right corner. With those words of prophecy fresh in your mind, let's now turn to around 96 A.D., when St. John, newly released from his imprisonment on Patmos, following the death of the Emperor Domitian, is back at his home base in the city of Ephesus. Traditional teaching is that it was to Ephesus that St. John took the Blessed Virgin Mary after the crucifixion and further where he founded a church which he led. In the traditional account, St. John there wrote his gospel account, sharing his first-hand recollection of events as he remembered them. He decided, you might say, to begin at the beginning. For St. Matthew, the beginning was Father Abraham. For St. Luke, the beginning was the creation of Adam. For St. John, the beginning was the beginning of all things. The illustration, Christ setting the moon and the stars, is a detail from one of the many scenes in the creation mosaic in the Dome of the Creation, St. Mark's Basilica, Venice, Italy. What St. John set down in verses 1 through 5, read in the previous episode and repeated here for complete context, is written in a distinctively Hebrew form based upon the Old Testament, especially the book of Psalms. Good examples are Psalm 1, the two-way psalm, Psalm 136, which is a summary of the creation account in Genesis, and Psalm 119, the longest psalm with different themes in each of its 22 sections. First, there is a declaration which can be followed by either a clarifying clause or a qualifying clause. The illustration, John writing his gospel, is an illumination in colored inks and gold on parchment from the Benedictional of Ethelwald, made at Winchester, England, 963 to 984 A.D. for use of Ethelwald, Bishop of Winchester, from Manuscript Additional 49598, Folio 19V, at the British Library, London, England. I applied perspective correction to the original image. As noted in episode 26, if you listen carefully to St. John's words, thinking, imagining that he is speaking directly to you in the 21st century from the manner of his phrasing, you can hear strong evidence that he dictated his gospel to a scribe rather than writing it on parchment. I have added emphasis on the most significant words. The illustration is the first day, separating light from darkness in the creation mosaic at the Basilica of St. Mark in Venice, Italy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In these five verses, St. John has linked Old Testament and New Testament concepts into a unified understanding of both the origin and the nature of Jesus, and in so doing, demonstrated the divinity of Jesus. Verse 1 contains three declarations. The first declaration is, In the beginning was the Word. Where St. Luke's genealogy was bold in its own way, following Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam, the first and imperfect man, St. John has leaped over all that, boldly going back to the formless state of matter before our world came into existence at the creation. He is saying that Jesus existed before the creation, which means that he existed outside of time as humans know it. We will see the same point made again in the words of Jesus in the first of the I Am declarations, which I discussed in episode 27. St. John varies and expands the theme in the second declaration, and the Word was with God. Once again, John has personified the Greek logos, literally meaning word with a small w into word, a noun with a capital letter, and making it refer to Jesus Christ as the personified Word. The Greek word for God is theos, literally, the one who sees. In this declaration, and again in the third The personified word is said to have been with God at the creation and before. In the third declaration, and the word was God, St. John has made the point that Jesus as God is the same God as the Hebrew God or God Almighty of the Old Testament, the God whose name Yahweh was unspeakable. In Greek, the same meaning of God as Lord God Almighty is implied in the title, Pantocrator. Just in case there is any confusion about his meaning in verse 1, in verse 2, St. John provides the first qualifying clause, He was in the beginning with God. The fourth declaration is verse 3a, All things were made through him. Things that were made through him means that Jesus, who preexisted before the universe came into being, was the Father's agent in the creation described in the Genesis account. Making sure there is no confusion over the meaning, St. John added in verse 3b the second clarifying clause, and without him nothing was made that was made. It is this same understanding that was incorporated into the Nicene Creed's second section in which Jesus is described as by whom all things were made. Next in verse 4, the fifth declaration, St. John makes it clear that the day spring from on high of whom Zacharias sang in verse 79 of the Benedictus refers to Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. As we will see in a few minutes, in the reading and discussion of verses 6 through 18, Jesus will speak again and yet again of the I am sayings that are unique to St. John's account. Specifically, I am the light of the world in John eight twelve, I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five. These and the other I Am declarations are the subject of Episodes 29 through 35. In verse 5, the sixth declaration, St. John again refers back to Zacharias' prophecy in Luke 179. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Song of Zacharias or Benedictus was discussed and illustrated in episode 13. I turn now to part 2 of St. John's unique prelude to his gospel, verses 6-18, through in which he elaborates upon his theology. Just as a reminder, the word theology comes from two Greek words, theos, meaning the one who sees, and logos, meaning word or in this case, the personified word from verse 1. Here, St. John is writing about events which happened in his own lifetime, and here he ties part 1, verses 1 through 5, not only to the actual appearance of John the Baptist, but to God's plan for John the Baptist. He also offers further clarification or extension of verses 4 and 5 concerning light, and darkness, and Jesus as the personified light. St. John continues in a distinctively Hebrew style, a declaration followed by a clarifying clause or clause intended to remove any ambiguity. In verse 8, the word witness is from the Greek martus or martyros. The concept of Christian witnessing was extensively developed in the epistles of St. Paul. The illustration is a detail of John the Baptist from an oil-on-panel altarpiece, the first of three made for the Monastery St. Anthony in Eisenheim, Germany, by Matthias Grunwald between 1512 and 1516 from the Musee de Unterlinden in Colmar, Germany. The first declaration in verse 6 and 7 is straightforward, without any ambiguity. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, and that all through him might believe. St. John offers a clarification in verses 8 and 9 which eliminates any possible confusion between the messenger sent from God, John the Baptist, and the message, Jesus Christ, who is the true light. In Christian theology, John the Baptist is called the forerunner. Here's verses 8 and 9. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light, To every man coming into the world. The illustration, John baptizing a man in a wooden tub, is one of five scenes in the life of John the Baptist from the front side of a rarely seen two sided frieze in colored inks and parchment made in the Alsace region on the border between modern day France and modern day Germany in the late 12th or early 13th century from Manuscript Additional 42497, British Library, London, England. In verse 10, St. John writes of the world's rejection of Jesus, building upon the declaration in verse 3 concerning his role as the Father's agent in the creation. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In verse 11, St. John's Prelude continues with one, a one-verse declaration that effectively is a summary of the events of the first several chapters of the Gospel of St. Luke and a synopsis of one of the underlying themes of the Gospel of St. Matthew. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own means that Jesus came first to the Hebrew nation or the chosen people, but they rejected him. His own did not receive him reflects their rejection of him. Remember that John as a Jew was a member of the his own who rejected Jesus. It was only after this rejection that the offer of salvation was extended to include the Gentiles. The illustration, Christ Pantocrator, is the central detail of a late 16th, early 17th century fresco at the Seslovski Monastery called the St. Nikola, outside Sofia City, Bulgaria. John the Baptist and the Blessed Virgin are shown at the bottom center. St. John makes it clear in a simple declaration in verses 12 and 13 that not all Jews rejected Jesus. His declaration is a rejection of Pharisaic wisdom. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The illustration Christ Pantocrator is a 6th-century tempera and gildon panel icon at the monastery of Saint Catherine, Sinai, Egypt. It is the oldest known icon of Christ and is said to have been commissioned by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian. This simple declaration means that Gentiles can now also become children of God if they believe in Jesus' name. St. John's words make very clear without equivocation that their acceptance as, a, as children of God did not come as a result of their bloodline, meaning the bloodline of the Hebrew nation from Abraham through King David down to, down to Joseph and Mary and eventually to Jesus, and not from the sexual act leading to birth, which is the meaning of nor of the will of the flesh nor from their own decision, the meaning of nor of the will of man, but solely because God willed it. This latter is the concept of divine grace, which is the sovereign gift of God and only from God and not from man's own will or works. God made this clear to Job, telling Job that he, God the Almighty, owed no one anything, even the righteous. See Job 41, verses 10b to 11, in the New King James text. In the final section of the prelude, in just five verses, 14 to 18, St. John offers a remarkably clear summary of the doctrine of grace and of the Incarnation, presenting himself offered as an eyewitness. We beheld his glory in verse 14b. The John in verse 15a is John the Baptist. I will read the five verses in their entirety and follow up with a commentary. The illustrations are scenes in the life of Christ from the nativity, the transfiguration to which John was a witness, the testimony of John the Baptist, and a mirror image representation of God the Father and God the Son. They will all appear again in the commentary. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. In just five verses, St. John has summarized events which St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke described in multiple chapters without diminishing in any way the longer forms in the synoptic gospel. Many of the phrases were incorporated into the Nicene Creed by the First Ecumenical Council at Nicaea in 325 AD and by the later revision in 381 AD. In verse 14a, St. John the Evangelist summarizes the incarnation, the transfiguration, and the resurrection of the latter two As he wrote, we beheld his glory. The illustration is a 17th century icon in tempera and gold on panel at Bucharest, Romania. In verse 15 and 16, St. John the Evangelist writes of the testimony of John the Baptist's declaration of the superiority of Jesus to himself and of the concept of the fullness of Christ brought into and shared with the world or the world made whole by an abundance of grace for grace. The illustration is a detail from an early 16th century altarpiece made for a monastery in Eisenheim, Germany. In verse 17, it is St. John the Evangelist who speaks of the difference between the law brought through Moses and the concept of grace and truth and earlier in verse 14b, which come as gifts to mankind through the Incarnation. Grace and truth should be understood as personified in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, in verse 14b and 18b, the incarnate wisdom of God the Father. The illustration is Christ Pantocrator, a mosaic, at the Hagia Sophia, originally Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. There is one other point made that requires some elaboration in verse 18 it is John the theologian who is speaking saying in 18a no one has seen god at any time this concept is based upon god's words to abraham in exodus 33:20 you cannot see my face for no man can see my face and live that's from the saas translation which is based upon the Septuagint. The NKJV translation says, no man can see me and live. The illustration is God the Father and God the Son, a miniature illumination in colored inks and parchment inside the letter O from an Oxford Psalter made in the region of Oxford in the first quarter of the 13th century from manuscript Royal 1D10, or X in Roman lettering. Folio 98, British Library, London, England. The artist avoids the early church's prohibition against images of God the Father by revealing God the Father and God the Son as mirror images. As John says, he is known only through the way he is declared, meaning revealed by Jesus Christ. Traditional Christian teaching is that his knowledge that this knowledge of God is enhanced by the presence in us of his Holy Spirit and that Jesus Christ is the revealed face of the Father. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode from the AIC seasonal video series The Great O Antiphons with one episode each for the final seven days of Advent, the key word for the fifth day of the cycle, December 22nd, is O. Orions or dayspring. From the AIC seasonal video series, The 12 Days of Christmas. With one episode with a keyword or words for each of the twelve days from Christmas Day to Epiphany Eve, the key words for eleventh day, January 4th, are glorifying God, and twelfth day, January 5th, Grace and Faith. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, Saint John is the focus of episode four, Mark of Episode 7. John the Baptist of episode 10, Matthew of episode 14, and Luke of episode 15. From the Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed, the portion concerning Jesus as the one by whom all things were made, is discussed in episode 5. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated, Matthew's Genealogy, of Jesus is discussed in Chapter 1, in the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated. The four unique songs in the Gospel of Luke are discussed in Chapter 1, and Luke's Genealogy of Jesus in Chapter 3, and in the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, John's unique prelude is discussed in Chapter 1. And from Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are creation. Crucifixion, ecumenical councils, face of the Lord, glory, grace, incarnation, antocrator, resurrection, synoptic gospels, transfiguration, witness and the word. In the beliefs of the Anglican Church, the doctrine of grace is discussed on pages 77 to 78 and the doctrine of faith on 78 to 79. In Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective, I explore the meaning of the phrase face of the Lord and discuss spiritual ways to, quote, see, unquote, the face of God in Part 3, pages 21 to 29. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, which is available using links at the top and bottom of each page on the site. Blog entries usually include an illustration. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church Legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, WordPress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for Episode 27 Next time, in episode 28, I will continue discussion of the role of John the Baptist and how followers of John became followers of Christ and the dramatic final verses of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.